Tonight we're going to talk about when people make you crazy. Now, it would be great if all we had to do was worry about us, huh? You know, life sadly does not work that way, and sometimes people suck. And a lot, you know, you'd think, like, we just do our thing, we're good, we, you know, do our part, life would be good, but we are deeply affected by other people that might not be doing that same thing. And the truth is, there's no way we can't be impacted by... The, the negative things of other people. It's just, you know, we'd have to deaden ourselves, which is, that's not good either. Like, if you're going to walk through life with so calloused and so dead that you don't feel anything, that you're a robot and you're not impacted, that's not a good thing either because life kind of sucks that way as well. So we have to deal with the fact that much of what other people do is outside of, well, everything that other people do is outside of our control and that it impacts us. So what we want to look at is what we can do and how we respond to that and what part God plays in it. So it's kind of like what our part is, what God's part is, what other people's part is. And in that, we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. Actually, the reason we're looking at the story of Joseph is because we are in the series called Jesus Christ, the prequel, where we're going through the whole Old Testament. So it just kind of happened that Joseph is the next person in line that we were going to talk about. So just to bring you up to date on the history part for, for those of you that have been following along is we had Jacob, and he had kind of a life of drama. He married two sisters, and that was a mess. That was, I mean, come on, really? You're married to two women that are sisters. It cannot go well. And um, they had baby wars, and there was a lot of envy, and he loved Rachel, didn't love Leah. And Rachel couldn't have any babies, and so Leah was popping them out like crazy, and Rachel was not happy about that, so uh, she had her maid have kids for her, and then finally, she has her own child, which is Joseph. And so we're going to be focusing on the story of Joseph, who is the first child that Jacob had through the woman he loved, Rachel. And so if you take a look at, we're going to start in Genesis 37. Oops, in the wrong spot. Because one of the things about Joseph is he had every bad break a person could have, pretty much. His beginnings and how he was hurt, he was betrayed over and over again throughout his life by people that he was close to, people he trusted. It was awful. It was just, you know, it was extremely traumatic stuff. And yet, God took care of him through it. So we're going to kind of see how that all worked. If you go to Genesis 37, in verse 3, and you remember that <laughs> um, from last week, we talked about struggling with God. Jacob, God renamed Israel, which means struggles with God. So in Genesis 37, in verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. Now, that's a terrible situation all by itself. It might be good for Joseph a little bit. But having it be really apparent that a dad has a favorite is not a great setup. But you kind of understand because of the fact that Joseph, I mean that Jacob loved Rachel and, and Joseph was his first child through Rachel. 
But what he did is it, it says, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So this is just, it's not good for anybody. This is like hurtful for Joseph. It's hurtful for the brothers. You're in a family, and how does it feel if, if it's really apparent that your parents love somebody else in your family more than you? Wow, you know? Now, that's another. It's funny because we're going to kind of see in the contrast of how Joseph responds to his crummy situation and how his brothers do. His brothers are sort of on the other side of the coin where they're, they got pretty worked up about it and hated him, but they never spoke a kind word to him. Now, if you know the dynamic of how little brothers relate to their older brothers, they worship them. You know, you got a little brother and you got all these older brothers. It's just like they're the heroes. They're, you know, they're, they're just like gods to a little brother. So what would it have been like for Joseph growing up to have his brothers never speaking a kind word to him? Talk about, you know, a lot of us have had the feeling of not feeling loved or not feeling in a, you know, in a family or feeling rejection by that. Joseph was loved by you know, his father, but to be in a situation where your brothers all hate you and have never said anything nice to you, this is horrible kind of situation. And then it says in verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We, we were binding sheaves of grain in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gather around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. All this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So it's already, you know, been building up for years and years, you know, and you know, we've all had that, you know, where you build stuff up, you know, resentments, bitterness, anger, we just let it sit faster and just stay in there and grow and it gets kind of putrid inside of you. You, you felt, you're all looking at me like you have never experienced this. I'm the lone wolf. Okay. So, the <laughs> you know, it's just sort of, it, it's, a, it's a bad place to be just inside. But then it's sort of Joseph's dream kind of put him over the edge. And, and it probably wasn't the wisest thing for Joseph to tell them this dream, but there's no crime in not showing wisdom. I mean, there was no, you know, there's, you know, there's nothing really evil other than he had a dream and he told him about it. And the funny, and in the Old Testament, as you can kind of see by how this plays out, oftentimes God spoke to people in dreams. Dreams aren't always just God speaking to you, but sometimes God speaks to people in dreams. And he did that, you know, often. And I don't even know that Joseph was aware of the fact that God was speaking. It doesn't sound like he was. Um, but this is building up and building up. And so we're going to go down to verse 19. What happens is the brothers are out taking care of the sheep. And, um, and the dad says, oh, sends Joseph out and says, go check out on your brothers. And in verse 19, it says, 
here comes that dreamer. <laughs> and the word dreamer actually means it's a sarcastic thing that says the master of dreams. So they're saying, here comes the master of dreams. They're seeing him in the distance. So you can kind of, <sighs> a lot of stuff's been brewing inside. And then it says in, uh, they said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. <laughs> Woo! Okay. <laughs> um, you got to get pretty angry to get to that place. You know, you think about it when, if you've ever been in a place where you're so mad, and oftentimes it comes when you feel like somebody's gotten over on you, or somebody's got power over you, or, so, you know, where, and you feel powerless. But they just fed and fed and fed on that bitterness to the place. That's intense that they would say, let's kill our brother. You gotta be eaten on that stuff for a long time. If you just think about it, if you, you know, if you've ever been to a place, if you've even thought about killing somebody, you know, that that's ever crossed your mind, like, ugh, you know? But they, they're pretty serious. Or even if you thought about wanting to hit somebody or things like that, you know what I mean? Like, when you get to that place, it's kind of a dark place to be in. So this is where they got to with their brother. And then it says, um, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And then they decide to sell him as a slave, and they all agree. So, and it says later, he is their younger brother. They threw him in a well. And it says in a later part, they're sitting there having lunch. He was screaming, pleading for his life, it says in another record this whole time. They're sitting there having lunch while their younger brother is at the bottom of a well knowing that, they, that he's going to die up until they change their mind and decide to sell him as a slave. But they're eating. Talk about cold and calloused and uncaring and what that would have been like for Joseph. You don't expect your family to treat you this way. You expect that you would be able to trust family. You would never expect to be betrayed like this and the younger brother that you would think the older brothers are supposed to look out for you they're supposed to beat up the bullies they're supposed to look after you what it would have been like this is about as traumatic as it gets I think for somebody imagine that being you know having your brothers decide to kill you and leave you as they're planning it and, the, and he's figuring he's going to be dead any minute you know he's screaming 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 it says and finally they have a little bit of heart and decide to sell him as a slave, which think about how traumatic that is. He's sold as a slave. And what that would have been like, not knowing where he's going, not knowing how he's going to be treated. He's going to a place that he does not know, where the people are different, the language is different. He came from a really prosperous, wealthy family. Jacob was a very affluent man. And here he is being hauled off away. So 
You can go a lot of places when you get a start like this in your life. There are many people, people react to, you know, early trauma in many different ways. That's, you see criminals saying, justifying it. Everybody's like, oh, they had a bad childhood. Well, Joseph had a bad childhood. <laughs> There's a lot of reason for him to get guarded. There's a lot of reason for him to be angry, to be bitter, to be reacting in a way of you can't trust anybody, to want revenge, to want payback. Do you know what I'm saying? If ever there was, a, this is pretty, if ever there was a setup that you'd say, oh, I kind of understand, you know, why he would be in that spot. Very, very rough beginning. So we're going to take it up in verse 39, in verse 1. So he sold, it says, to, in verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down from Egypt, or to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And it says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, that's pretty far to ascend from a slave. You know, the guy buys someone as a slave. Potiphar's a wealthy, powerful man. What could he have seen? It says, you think about that. What would he have witnessed for him to, it says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And, then it's, and it says that he saw that the Lord gave him success in everything. It takes a lot, wouldn't it? It means he's trusting the guy with everything, his finances, his household, you know, the check. He probably had power of attorney. That's like a lot of power for somebody that he bought as a slave. So what would it take for a man in that position to trust Joseph with? I'm telling you, this is like, this is not normally how it turns out when somebody's been given a circumstance like that, but you can, it's really evident that where Joseph went is, which is hard to do, is he never, in the sight of that adversity, he kept his eyes on trusting that God was still good and God was loving. We're going to see over and over again throughout this record, we, you can't control that people do really crummy things, but we do have a God that we can trust in that can pull us out. In hard situations, in difficult situations, when people try and step on us, walk on us, keep us down, God Almighty is big enough to take us out. But what if Joseph had gotten bitter and said, ah, where's God? Where's God? And got, you know, a lot of people just get angry at God and shut God out and all those kind of things. But you got to see that the witness of his life was that Potiphar even had an example that, that Joseph was a godly man and was trustworthy. So you see character, you see faith, and it would have been built over time that Joseph would have had the trustworthiness that Potiphar would have given him this incredible amount of power and responsibility. And then what happens, it says, it's amazing. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome, 
And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Yeah. Now, some people will go, hey, this is even an added benefit, but, you know, great perk. The guy puts me in charge of everything, and I get his wife. But <laughs> it's kind of, it's, Joseph says, it says in verse 8, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now, this has got to get really stressful. For one, it has to be stressful to have the man's wife hit on you. And then Joseph is a person of honor and, and, and character and integrity. And really, I mean, it's, you really see how much Joseph is not only trusting God, but he's also getting, sometimes, you're, like, it takes a lot of faith to do the right thing. You know, because you're no longer controlling the situation. You know, sometimes you're faced with really, really hard things, and to do something of God sometimes means letting go, you know, of things and trusting, like, how's this going to work out to say no to her? Because, you know, that sh surely had to be feel really stressful, especially she's coming to him every day. What would that have been like every day? He's trying to just do his thing, and she's, like, saying, come to bed with me, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. Um... So then it says in verse 13, oh wait, sorry, um, no, uh, verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Oh yeah, and actually it's kind of cool because you see he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So he was trying to avoid even being with her. And then in verse 11 it says, one day he came into the house to attend to his duties, none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until the master came home when she told him this story that Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me but as soon as I screamed for help he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house when the master heard the story his wife told him saying this is how your slave treated me he burned with anger now I can imagine Potiphar feeling so talk about how betrayed Potiphar must have felt, he doesn't know the truth. You know, Potiphar must have felt so like the biggest fool in the universe that here he is taking a slave, gave him rule over everything in his house, and then his wife saying, this guy tried to rape me. And then to hear what it must have been like for Joseph, knowing and caring so much about Potiphar, knowing it's such a lie and there's nothing he can do about it. She's the one that was so wrong and so evil and hideous, and he was being honorable, and there's nothing he could do about it. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? There, there are unjust things that happen, and it's rough. Life is not fair. People lie, you know? 
So I can't, I, you know, I was just thinking about what that must have been like when Potiphar, you know, confronted Joseph on it. And then it said, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So he went from being on top, somebody completely betrays him again in a horrible way, so unjust, and he's thrown in prison. Now again, time he could get bitter again. Where is God? God sucks. You know, this isn't working. I'm just going to screw everybody. You know, like, you know where people just go, it doesn't pay. You just got to get what you got to get. You know, get yours while you can or, you know, look out for number one or, you know, that kind of thing or thinking. So, but what's really interesting is for some reason, Joseph doesn't go there. He's still trusting in God. And it says, while Joseph was in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the, jo- because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So there he goes again. He's just, you know, he's still walking with God. His heart's in a place that he's trusting God. And people see that in your life too. You know, that he wasn't bitter or angry or hard, but that he's somebody that is still being honorable, trusting God, etc. And so now he's in charge of everything in the, if you're going to be in prison, it's probably a good way to go, you know, being the boss of everybody and probably lots of privileges, etc. Now what happens in prison, there's, he's in prison and there's a couple of guys that work for Pharaoh that were thrown in there and they had dreams. There was a cup baker, a cup holder and a baker and they had a dream and then they asked Joseph and Joseph, they said, can you interpret the dream? And Joseph said, no, I can't, but God can. And he gave them the interpretations and He told the one guy, three days, you're going to die. And he told the other guys, in three days, you're going to be taken back into Pharaoh's care. So when the guy that stayed alive uh, went off to Pharaoh, Joseph said, just do me a favor. Tell Pharaoh about me. You know, like, hook me up here, you know, and tell him I'm a good guy and, you know, was wrongly accused, etc. Well, the guy gets out and works for Pharaoh, and guess what? forgets all about Joseph. A couple years go by, and Joseph's still sitting in jail, and the guy does nothing to help Joseph to thank him or to pay him back. And then what happens is Pharaoh has a dream, and he has a dream that these um, couple dreams, one is that he has a dream that there's seven skinny cows, and then they eat seven fat cows. And then he has a dream that there are seven pieces of grain, skinny grain, and they eat the fat seven pieces of grain. So Pharaoh asks all of his wise men, and they don't know what the dream is. And so then the cupbearer says, oh, I forgot. There's this guy in jail. I said, I really, bad me, my bad. I forgot all about him. I promised to tell you about him, and I didn't. But he's awesome at interpreting dreams. And he tells them how Joseph had interpreted their dreams. So Pharaoh's like, okay, bring him out. And he does. And Joseph goes and explains to Pharaoh that what the dreams mean is what's going to happen is that there's going to be a hor- well, there's going to be seven years of, incre- of incredible plenty where the crops are going to be great, everything's going to be great, and then seven years that are coming of the worst, worst famine, you know, ever. And so he tells Pharaoh, and then uh, what to do is to st- stock up in the seven years, and then when the famine comes, that... Egypt will have all the food and we'll be able to have a lot of power by selling the food to all the starving people. 
And so Pharaoh's like, wow, you are a wise man. And so what happens, we're going to go pick up the story again. In uh, 41, in verse 39, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people and are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Now, (laughs) Pharaoh's already more powerful than anybody living on the earth today. Like, I don't think there's any rich people or powerful people to the degree that Pharaoh was at this time. Um... The wealth and the power, you know, there was no, you know, it just was unbelievable. And it even says in another section here that Joseph was looked upon as being equal to Pharaoh. That's the degree of power that he had. He had the signet ring. He had power of attorney where he could make all the financial decisions. And it says in the Bible that Joseph is a type of Christ. He actually also symbolizes the relationship where Joseph represents Jesus and his relationship to God. So Joseph and Pharaoh are one of the tupos, you know, or type of, of what's coming with Christ, where it says that God says that he put all things under Christ's feet except for himself. So that the relationship that Joseph and Pharaoh had are very similar to the relationship of Christ and God. Um, is another one. There's a whole bunch of things that we're going to be looking at, as we said, through the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus and some of the, the, um, the prophecies. But talk about going from prison, and it, this is just ridiculous. Talk about being blessed, power, wealth, everything. Uh, it's amazing. And so everything happens with the, with the famine, just as it was spoken about. And then it says, um, oh, yeah, actually, we'll just read the rest of this. It says in 41, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariot as his second in command. Then men shouted before him, make way, and thus put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or a foot in all of Egypt. So that's what I'm saying. This is a long way to go from prison. So um, let's go to chapter 42. What happens is the famine, so we have the times of plenty and the famine comes, and Joseph's dad and brothers are now getting hit by the famine and hear that the only place to get food is Egypt. So Jacob says to his sons, we're going to die if we don't get food. You know, take some money and go to Egypt and go buy food. But Joseph, I mean, uh, Jacob has the, the second son that Rachel had, which is Benjamin, the youngest. And he says, don't take Benjamin because my heart is so broken because of what happened with Joseph. I can't bear to see anything happen. So all you guys go, but you must leave I can't deal with anything happening to Benjamin, so leave him behind. So the brothers go to Egypt to buy food. And in uh, chapter 42 and verse 1, it says, When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why must we keep looking at each other? I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us that we might live and not die. And, um, oh, sorry, I want to go down to... 
Verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold the grain to all of his people. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to him, you are spies, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. Now, this has got, there's a couple things here. People react differently when they've been hurt radically by somebody. There's different options. And oftentimes you see people either doing this thing where, you know, they go, if you're a Christian, you'll just forgive. Just forgive, and somehow people think forgive means act like nothing happened. So a lot of times people will look at situations like this. This was a horrible thing that his brothers had done. The last time he saw his brothers, they were trying to kill him and then decided to sell him into slavery. So sometimes people tell you the Christian thing to do is go, Oh, all's forgiven. Come on back, guys. Maybe you want to try and kill me again. You know, it's just like welcome, open arms, and just kind of ignore that this horrible thing has gone on in the past. But what happened, and, and then you see the other extreme where people say, somebody hurt me, even if it's a, you know, small infraction, I want nothing to do with them. They're out of my life. They're done. Bye. Cut them off. Do you see? We get those kind of two extremes in relationships and dealing. Because what we're going to be talking about and looking at how Joseph reacts to his brothers is how do you respond when people have done hurtful things to you in a way. Because God doesn't want you to get stomped all over and walked all over and used and all those kind of things. And so there's a whole other option here. And Joseph does some really wise things. And I believe it's because he was walking with God. And also because it's funny because... Joseph was, had such incredible integrity that I think it helped him to see clearly. You know, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. It is stupid if somebody has betrayed you to trust them again right away. It doesn't make any sense. You should trust people based on trustworthiness. And trustworthiness takes place over a period of time. You can absolutely predict what someone will do by what they've been doing. You, somebody does something over and over and over again. Well, what are you so surprised about? If somebody lies to everybody else. Why on earth would you think that they're going to tell you the truth? If somebody does not value integrity, you know, oh, because they care about you, they're going to tell you the truth. They don't value integrity. Now, people can change, but guess what? If somebody's going to change, it takes a period of time of demonstrated behavior that's different to show that they're trustworthy. You can forgive somebody and say, but I don't trust you. It's no different than if you loaned a car to somebody. I use this example all the time because I think it's just sort of like, with, it's so, for some reason with our material things, we're much more careful with our material things than we are with our heart which is also kind of crazy. You know, we're much more protective about that. If you had a car and you loaned it to somebody and they wrecked it drunk driving, do you, is forgiveness mean you give them your new car the next day and say, love you, brother, I forgive you because I'm a Christian, here's my key keys? Would that sound completely crazy? That is crazy. But we do that with our heart, with our emotions, with, you know, the, 
the things that actually are more valuable. So we're going to see how Joseph walks this out um, in here. And it says they respond. So he, oh, and just so you know, the reason, if you think about this, why, why it was that Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. He was younger. He was 17 at the time that he was taken away. And also Egyptian, he's, he's speaking another language and they dress differently and they, you know, there's all kinds of things where they would have looked differently, whereas brothers probably looked more similar because they were older. And so it said in verse 10, No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. And then, uh, oops. Um, oh, sorry. Um, I think I went. Sorry, I want to go vert to, down to verse 18. So... Okay, let's go down to verse 18. And it says, On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and you may not die. This they proceeded to do. And then in verse 21 it says, They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed, wait, oh, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. I told you that it said that that's what was going on, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. So it's kind of a cool thing because Joseph's hearing that. They don't realize that he can understand their language. So they're speaking while Joseph's hearing this. What must have that felt like to hear his brothers saying, we deserve what's coming to us because what we did to our little brother? What does that tell you even that they're thinking that way? Because there's different ways that people react to screwing up, but one of the first steps in people moving towards trustworthiness is having a place that they own what they've done. Because a lot of times when people do something wrong, they don't own it. They blame other people, they minimize, they dismiss. That's not a safe person. That's not a reason to trust somebody again. So at least the fact that he's watching them in front of them and their hearts are being pierced saying, we deserve, and even to say, we deserve what we get because of what we've done. Just go, we did this horrible thing. And so it must have, think about what that must have been like for him to hear those words, knowing his brothers that the last time they, and to say that they, that they heard him pleading and ignored him. You know, emotional, really, really emotional. And then in verse 22, it says, Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. And then he turned back and spoke to them again. He had Sim Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So... Poor Joseph. I mean, this is just sort of, you see also just the emotional part that Joseph hadn't hardened his heart. You know, he was being cautious, though. The thing is, what you see is Joseph is not doing that thing of going, welcome, you're my brothers, it's all forgiven, we're all good now. Or he's in a place of incredible power where he could have them killed. He could do whatever he wants. I mean, he's got the power. You know, he's in charge of all of Egypt at this point. Um, he could get revenge in a really big way. 
So then um, let's go take a look at uh, basically what he says is he fills their sacks, he takes, he takes Simeon, and he gives them the food and says, I will believe your story if you bring Benjamin, which is his little brother through Rachel, uh, his full brother, and if you bring him back. And so he gives them food, and what they don't realize is he put the, their money back in their sacks, and they didn't know that. So they get home to Jacob, and on their way, they realize that the money is back in their sack, and they are freaking out thinking, oh my God, we are so, we are so like screwed. It's just like, because they, how are they going to go back? And they're worrying that we're, they're going to think that we stole the money back. And so they told the dad what was happening. And the dad's like, I will not send my son, Benjamin. The dad's going, I lost my son, Joseph. I cannot send my youngest Benjamin. I will die. But then a little bit more, the famine goes, and they're like starving. And so he finally gets, uh, we're going to die. There's no option. So he said, okay, take Benjamin. Give them twice the money back that you took. Explain that you didn't take it. Give them twi- we'll give them lots of gifts, lots of things, lots of money. you know. And, um, but he says, please bring Benjamin back or, um, or I'll die. Oh, and then also it's kind of interesting because you also see a change of heart because Reuben says, I will you can kill my two children if I don't bring Benjamin back. Uh, and then Judah says, I will take his place. So you see a really different kind of perspective from, you know, throwing like what they did to Joseph versus Benjamin, who was kind of in the same boat as Joseph was as far as being a favored son. So it's the same situation. We've got a favored son, but they're re- reacting in a very different heart in a very different place. So let's go down to... Um, 43, where he comes back to Egypt. Um, Oh, you know what? Actually, I don't know if... Oh, yeah, 43 and verse 26. Um, It says, When Joseph came home, they presented him with the gifts they uh, they had brought to the house. They bowed down to him on the ground. He asked how they were, and he said... How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? God, that must have been hard for him to even ask that question because it's about his dad. They replied, your servant our father is alive and well, and they bowed down to pay him honor. And he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, and he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? He said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep, and he went to his private room and wept there. So this is rough, rough situation. Joseph's still not revealing what's up. So they, since they came back with Benjamin, he kept the deal. He gives them the food, sends them on their way, and just lets them go. But he tells the, his servant, he says, I want you to take a silver cup that belongs to me and put it in Benjamin's sack without him knowing. So they give him lots of food and lots of things. They travel back to Jacob. On the way, his, um, Joseph sends his staff after them to say, we're missing a silver cup. How could you treat us this way after we gave you food? <laughs> and, so, and so the brothers are like, no, we didn't. We didn't do any of that. You could kill one. Whoever's got a cup, if you find it, you can kill them. Now it's in Benjamin's sack. So they, go, they, un, they open all their stuff up, and they find the cup in Benjamin's sack. And Joseph says, um, they, and they bring him back to Joseph, and Joseph says, we'll just keep him as a slave and you guys can go on free. That's all. Just leave, leave Benjamin here as a slave. 
go on for free. Now, you'd think if they were in the same place, what would they do? They'd be bye-bye. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, it's just sort of like, but what happens, we're gonna take a look, is, um, uh, where do we go? Um, in 44 and verse 30, we'll pick up there. 44 and verse 30. So what, what happens is, um, so Judah is telling him the story, is talking to Joseph and telling him the story about how his dad's heart is so broken over Joseph dying, you know, because he thinks Joseph's dead. And he says, he will die if we don't bring Benjamin back. We cannot do this. My, our father won't live through it if we return without Benjamin. And he says, I'll take his place. Just please let my little brother go. And then it says, and it says, um, and so Joseph is hearing all of this. And 44 in verse 30, um, or 33, it says, now please let your service, servant Judah remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that will come upon my father. So then Joseph loses it. In, verse, in chapter 45 and verse 1, Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph told his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then he has him come close, and he says, don't worry and don't be angry. You know, God took care of me. I'm fine. And they cry a lot, and he says, I'm going to take care of you. It's fine. Go get my father and bring him here in the famine. I've got plenty. I'll look after you. And it's this emotional thing, and even Pharaoh and their staff is super excited for Joseph, so that's kind of cool. And this is huge, huge emotional thing, but what's amazing is that Joseph's wisdom in that he did not let them back in right away. He put them through all of these things and gave them, you know, different, th different tests to see how they were going to respond before he welcomed them with open arms to see where their heart is. They had actually gone through a change of heart and were in a different place, but he had no way of knowing that. And so now here he is with his family, and you think about, I know he spent his life thinking that here God had taken him from this horrible situation to all of this wealth and power and this amazing position, but he had no family. He saw the power of God working mightily in him in, in all these other places of his life, and he spent his life pretty much hopeless that he would ever have family again. In his heart, from his experience, it might as well have been over. You know, so it's incredible. You can't control what people do, but what created the possibility for this, because his brothers could have just stayed where they were and stayed stuck. But one of the things is, from Joseph's faithfulness and his trust in God and his living the way that he did with integrity and also in setting boundaries with his family of not letting them back in and not trusting right away until they had kind of proven it out, 
this family got restored in a way that he never in a million years imagined beyond his wildest dreams. So he's, it was just like an amazing, amazing way as far as how God delivered. I want to just read, read one more thing as we wrap up because we kind of need to do some of the history part. Um, so they go back and they get uh, Jacob and bring him back. And Jacob is so blessed and just blown away. And of course, there's way more crying. There's a lot more. There's a lot of crying in this part of it. Lots of crying, and it's also really loud and goes long, and everybody's super blessed and emotional. And then, um, actually, let's turn to chapter 50. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, 49, verse 8. Um, oops, 49. 49. And so... What Jacob does is he is so blessed by Joseph and what happened that, and I want to actually, can we put up the chart uh, now too the, um, that I want to show you guys? Because we're trying to get, walk you guys through the history of this. So you've heard of the 12 tribes of Israel? Some of you? Who's heard of the 12 tribes of Israel? Some people? Um, well, some people get confused about this, but how they came about is, Joseph was so, I mean, I'm sorry, Jacob was so blessed uh, when he saw Joseph and by what Joseph had done that he gives his inheritance. Because remember last week and the week before we had talked about Abraham and the promise of God for their inheritance and how God was going to bless them and bless their offspring. And so we have Jacob and he has all these children through the baby wars that we read about last week. And Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so instead of just getting one portion of the inheritance, uh, Jacob uh, basically, for all intents and purposes, took Ephraim and Manasseh to be his own, so they got double the inheritance. So instead of it just being, instead of Joseph, the inheritance was automatically doubled and passed on to Ephraim and Manasseh, and that made up the 12 tribes. Levi is a tribe of priests, so they didn't have any income. They, they um, worked off of the offering. Um, and served God, but the, this is the this is how the lineage we see Abraham, and we see how he had uh, Ishmael and Isaac, and then Isaac. Remember, we had the wacky twins Esau and Jacob, and then we see Jacob had the two sisters Leah and Rachel, and they and their maids, and they had a bunch of kids, and there's Joseph. So that that makes up the twelve tribes of Israel. Now Jacob, right before he dies, he gives a prophecy for all of the twelve tribes. I mean, all of the 12 uh, kids and what is to come. And I just want to read this because we're also looking at the line of Jesus. Uh, in chapter 49 and verse 8, it says, Judah, your brothers, will, will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You're a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares, to, who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. This is a prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. At this time, nobody knew it, but Jesus was of the lineage of Judah. And so it talks about one of the nicknames for Jesus is he's called the Lion of Judah. And it comes from this prophecy, and that's his nickname. And so when it's talking about the fact that the scepter won't depart from his hand, is that once Jesus is king, he is the final king. You know, and and there was none after as far as the kings of Israel uh, beyond Jesus. So that's what 
some of the prophecies were as far as what was to come. And then um, uh, Jacob dies, and it's all peaceful. And, th and then they have another talk because the brothers actually are a little still worried that <laughs> they, they think after Jacob dies that uh, Joseph might still get revenge. So they actually felt guilty about it this whole time. And so when Jacob dies, they're like, oh, my God, Joseph's now going to kill us. And then Joseph says, no, I love you. I forgive you. And he says, what you intended to harm me, he says, but God intended it for a blessing, that God made it cause me to victory. And that's the thing. It's hard. It does take faith. But there, aren't, there are things that are out of our control. And what other people do, we can't do squat about. And it sucks. People do harmful, hurtful, hideous things. But it is possible, like, for us to triumph for us to overcome, for God to bring us to victory no matter what the circumstances. But what we don't want to do is to walk away. What we want to do in adversity is go towards God. It's hard. I remember during my cancer, it's hard. When bad things happen, I do get that you want to walk away from God, where you're just going, I don't want this. Whatever you're hit with, where you're just going, where is God? You know, but God can still work no matter what the circumstances or what the adversity, but what we want to do is to not pull away from him. We want to move towards him and want to stay faithful and invite him in to those hard times, and God will cause us to triumph. Amen. Let me pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I come before you, uh, Lord, and with great thanksgiving. I have definitely seen your goodness in... I have seen your goodness a lot in adversity and um, in ways that I'll never forget. And I know that all things are possible with you, that you are love and that you are goodness and that people aren't reliable, but you are and that we can count on you and have faith in you to cause us to triumph, to take care of us, to love us in, in hard times. So I pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.